everyone. Um, my name is Craig and I'm one of the elders here at Christ Church Albany and really excited to be able to share with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, as we know, John has been going through the book of 1 Corinthians over the last couple of months. Uh, 1 Corinthians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early followers of Jesus. He wrote this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And as we've been reading through the book, to me anyway, it really reads and feels like Paul is having this family meeting with the church. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever had family meetings, but that's what it feels like to me. And he sounds like a parent addressing his children. Uh, and Paul himself tells us why he feels he can do this and talk to him about it. He says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you only have one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news, the gospel to you. So I urge you to imitate me. So like a father, he's saying to them, hey, hey, family, we need to talk. Uh, there are some things happening right now that makes you look like you're really off track. You're off in another place right now. And this chaos among you, there's things happening now like sexual morality, immorality that's being condoned and uh, there's division among you, and, and, and we need to address that so we can get back to what Jesus actually wants us to be with him. And as any parent would want to be able to say to their children, he's saying to them, listen, I have taught you better than this. Uh, and matter of fact, I have shown you in how I've lived my life, what it looks like to live a life in Christ. So how did you guys end up where you are now? And though there were many issues that Paul addressed throughout that letter, uh, the core issue that he was addressing with them is that their lives, how they were living their lives, did not match up with what they said they believed. And he puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as people who live by the Holy Spirit. I had to speak to you as people who are still following the ways of the world. You aren't growing as Christ wants you to. You're still like babies. The words I spoke to you were like milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for solid food yet, and you still aren't ready for it. You're still following the ways of the world. Some of you are jealous. Some of you argue. So aren't you following the ways of the world? Aren't you acting like ordinary human beings, like everyone else around you? And so for Paul, when he first led them to Jesus, it was understandable that they were not mature enough to handle only but the basic parts of walk with Jesus. And it would take time for them to mature in their thinking and their behaviors. And that's true for all of us as we came to know Jesus. Um, the problem is that as time went on, what should have happened is that they matured and grown in their faith and their walk with Jesus. But they seem to remain the same they act in the same way they did before they became Christ followers. And it's like, okay, this, this is not how this is supposed to work. See, the way that they're behaving, it makes me think about it this way. The Corinthians uh, had accepted Jesus as their Savior, as the one who was saving them from their sins, but had not completely accepted them as Lord of their lives. It was, he wasn't the one that was guiding their decisions to how they ought to behave and live. Uh, 
something else was. And it's important to understand that our belief, our faith in Jesus, is inseparably connected to how we actually live our lives. And what Paul is saying is that it's not just relevant to this church at this time, it's relevant for all of us that say we believe. Um, there ought to be growth in how we are living our lives as we follow Jesus, but that wasn't happening for them. And as a result, instead of growing to look more and more like Jesus, they grew to look more and more like everyone else around them. And then in some ways, they were acting the same or even worse than the people around them that don't believe. And as I reflect on my life, unfortunately, I can relate with the Corinthians a lot. Uh, there was a time in my walk with Jesus that uh, I professed a faith in him and what he, what he did for my sins. Um, but my life, how I was living, the decisions I was making, how I treated people, wasn't in line with that at all. Uh, so what I'd like to share with you guys is my journey through all of that. Uh, from where I was, when I discovered that's where I was, to where I am now in Christ. Um, as I shared with you guys before, I didn't become a Christian until I was about 19 years old in college. Uh, and the reason why, one of the reasons why anyway, was that I felt like I was like caught between two different worlds. Uh, trying to follow what Jesus would say and following what the world would tell me that is right. And I was stuck in between the two and felt like I couldn't choose either one completely. And what ended up happening is that I had a lot of fear, I had a lot of guilt, I had some doubts, you know, about myself, about God. It was just a very confusing time. But when I became a Christian, it felt like I was carrying this weight around and I let it go. I felt light. I felt free. I just excited to live this new life with Jesus. But that did not last. Over time, what I found myself doing is drifting slowly but surely back to my old way of thinking, old way of behaving and living my life. And honestly, that was all while still professing a faith in Jesus. And I tried to, to do better. I tried to work harder at it. And in some ways, I did get better. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I didn't. I didn't really improve because what would happen is I would take this, make these progress, and then I would find myself eventually drifting back to where I started. I was taking two steps forward and then two steps back in my walk with Jesus. And this went on for years. Years of my walk with Jesus was like that. It's from my college years, into my adult working years, into my marriage, to having kids. Throughout all of that time, this is how I was. Two steps forward, two steps back. But even with the signs of things going on around me, the, the pain that's going on with my family, my wife, my, my kids because of what's going on, somehow I was able to be in denial about really needing to change that, which is crazy. And this is exactly the state of being that the Christian Corinthian church was in. All this stuff is going on, but they're not paying attention to it, that they need to change. Uh, and it was about 10 years ago that I ran into this, this book uh, that really helped me define what exactly was happening to me. Uh, and the name of the book is called Buck Naked Faith by Eric Sandris. And that is in the title. I'm not making that up. 
and it is catchy if you're going to be walking through a bookstore, a Christian bookstore that you see that title. So that's what draw me in. Uh, but definitely, um, it is something that helped me to understand what was happening better. Um, what it helped me to know is that even though when I came to believe in Jesus, I was made to this, be this new creation. Instead of growing to who God had called me to be, I became instead a bonsai. Now, you might have been wondering why this has been sitting here this whole time. I wasn't trying to make some decorations. This is actually a bonsai tree. Uh, and this, this is a little disclaimer, is not a real tree because I probably would have killed the one if it was real it wouldn't have made it for this purposes so I felt probably better to have the fake one so but anyway so this is what they would look like uh, and to me uh, bonsais are, are really fascinating uh, to create one is actually not very easy at all it takes a lot of work to make a bonsai but in the hands of a skilled bonsai artist they are stunning really really stunning uh, to look at and it turns out that the same seed that grows a tree out in nature also grows a bonsai tree. Uh, there's no bonsai tree seed. Uh, it's the same seed. The only reason why it's this size and not like a normal tree out in nature is because of what the artist does to it. So to keep it this size, uh, the artist will put the tree in a container like this one that is actually too small for it for its potential. And the container is meant to help them to survive, not to thrive. So the container is shallow, so the roots don't grow too, too deep. Uh, it, it's meant to just keep it alive and looking the way that they want it to. And so they also would train the, the bonsai to, be, to live on as little water as possible. Uh, and it would prune it, they would do all these different things to keep it looking like this. And what I realized about myself is that somehow I had created an environment that allowed me to appear healthier, appear that I was growing in my relationship with Christ, but actually not really. Um, to look the part of a growing Christian, but internally being this weaker, smaller version of who God had called me to be. See, my container was too small, and so my roots couldn't grow too deep, and I didn't grow. And my core issue at that time was that I was so selfish and self-focused in my life, even though I professed this faith in Jesus. The container, so to speak, was still me, still my old way, still my old way of thinking, and the thing that was watering me pruning me was the world and its desires, not Jesus, not in his proper place that he should be. Uh, and this may have looked different for some uh, in terms of when you became a Christian, but for me, what I has been true for me is that it's not as if I didn't give Jesus control or make him Lord of any aspects of my life, because that was not true. I actually did in some areas, but there were some really important areas of my life that I kept from him, that he wanted to change, that he wanted control over, but I resisted. I was telling him, Jesus, I got this. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. I got it. Um, and so instead, I focused on making the container as pretty as possible and to learn how to be 
had the minimum amount of his spirit guiding me in my life. I trained myself to do that. And so I was a bonsai believer. And because of that, I was stunted and continued to hurt myself and those around me. And the truth is, you can't afford to be in denial about that uh, and about our condition. Here's how Eric Sandris puts it. Taking time to get a different perspective on our lives can often help us realize that what we think we're seeing in the mirror is actually only a small and struggling version of what God intends us to be. I don't want to be a bonsai believer, one who only looks like they've weathered the storms of life and faith. I want to be the real thing, growing mightily or maybe just awkwardly toward my full God-oriented potential. And as Paul said to the Corinthians, I'm not saying this to make anyone ashamed. Uh, I'm saying this as a warning from my life experience that if you live like this, continue to live like this in this state, it has drastic consequences for you and those around you. Uh, I was thinking about the story of Jesus when he saw the lame man in, uh, laying at the pool of Bethesda. And he comes up to him and he says to him, um, do you want to be well? Which, first glance says, what a strange question, Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be well that's sick? Of course he wants to be well. But I need you to consider something. It says that this man was in this condition for 38 years. 38 years of his life was like this. And somehow, he survived in that condition for 38 years. And if Jesus didn't intervene, I believe... He probably would have continued on surviving in that condition. So as I look at that story, Jesus' question is not that strange for me. Because what I realized is that I was just like that man. Lame, surviving, but not thriving. And so he was saying to me, Jesus saying to me, do you want to be well? Do you want to change this? Or are you satisfied with where you are right now. Do you want to change this? Because if you do, just understand that that is only something I can do for you if you let me. So I was confronted with the reality of where I was and my condition, and I had the decision to make. Uh, do I remain a bonsai, or do I look to find a way to change and grow in invite Jesus into that equation. Uh, and at that time, I began this journey that uh, over the last 10 years of my life, uh, it didn't happen all at once. I didn't snap a finger and all of a sudden all these areas of my life that I was withholding was, I, no, I didn't. It was a step-by-step, issue-by-issue process that Jesus took me through uh, to give more and more of myself to him. Now, I don't want to overly simplify what that process was, but if I was to try and encapsulate what exactly was the difference that allowed change to happen is in a three-letter word that is simple, but hard at times to say, and that word is yes. And so I want to share with you three areas of my life that has been changed and had the greatest impact on who I am today. Uh, living, moving from a self-focused, selfish life to a more others-focused, Christ-centered life. 
So the first area that I want to share with you about is my finances. Uh, early in my Christian walk, it, I didn't give money away at all. Um, not to the church, not to anyone else for that matter. And money for me was this thing that you, you gained, you possessed, and you held on to as much as possible. Unless I was spending it on myself, then it was okay. Um, and so the idea of giving away money made me feel anxious and uncomfortable. Um, because I wasn't sure if I, we would still have enough if we was to give. Um, and let me tell you how that actually changed. I said yes to one thing that Jesus had put on my heart to do, and it started a chain reaction in my life. Uh, I remember being in church at Christ Church Billman and hearing about this opportunity to begin to give uh, to this organization called Vision Trust to help out with these kids in Guatemala uh, who, uh, for food and knowing the love of Jesus. And both my wife and I, after hearing it, came up to each other without having talked about ahead of time and felt like this was something that God was leading us to do and that we needed to do. And $30 a month, $30 a month changed so much for me in time in our lives. Um, because that decision allowed Jesus to show himself to be truthful. Uh, the more that we were willing to give, the more he provided for us. And that we knew that we can trust him, that if we are freely giving and generous, He's more than generous with us as well and takes care of us. Uh, he also allowed him to show me the blessing that it is to give, uh, to know that what you, he gave you, you can give away, and it will be a blessing to someone else as well as to yourself. And as he was faithful with that over and over again, he changed our hearts about it to the point where now as a family, we give away a tenth of our income every month which if you knew us 10 years ago, would know how huge that really is for us uh, and how far we have come to be able to do something like that. Uh, another area that uh, God has really addressed and changed and I've given over to him was my emotions. Not only was I stunted in my walk with Jesus, I was also stunted emotionally for a lot of years. And one of the biggest issues I had was my anger and my impulsivity. Um, and I was explosive and it would pour out onto my wife, onto my kids, onto my friends, and it would be over usually very trivial things, nothing that significant. And so I had two modes of operating. It was either stuffing things, not dealing with them or exploding. Uh, and that was my only two ways of being. There was nothing really in between the two. And my thinking was, this is just who I am. This is who I am and this is how I'll always be. And I was thinking that way for years. And how that really changed for me was when I said yes. When I was encouraged by someone to go and get counseling, a therapist, I said yes. And that started a, again a chain reaction in my life. It allowed me to begin the process of understanding where that anger really was from. Uh, because I realized that my anger uh, was really based on a fear that I had. Fear of what other people thought of me. Fear of uh, rejection. Fear of not being understood. 
whatever it may be, but it was a fear behind it. And the reason why I had those fears is because of my past that I never really dealt with, which eventually led me to uh, read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which I've talked about before, and helped me so much to kind of see where I am and what I needed to do and what Jesus wanted to change in me. Um, those closest to you will tell you that I am a much more healthy, emotional person, emotionally uh, right now than I have been even three years ago. Uh, and I give glory to God for that because it was a process of giving over these things to him, my past, my emotions. And he changed a lot in me. He changed a lot in my relationships, uh, which brings me to my last uh, area of my life I want to talk about, which is my marriage. Um, this year, my wife and I actually been, will be married for 18 years. Uh, and we've known each other for 23 years. It's a long time. Unfortunately, a lot of those years, we were so unhealthy. In, unhealthy individually, unhealthy as a couple. And it caused a lot of pain to one another. A lot of pain. It really is a miracle that we are still married today because there were times where I wasn't sure if we would be. Um, now I remember thinking my marriage is our marriage is okay. I mean, it's not as bad as other people's, you know, and so no real big concern about it for a period of time. We could have chosen to have a marriage where it was just okay. Uh, we just kind of coast in to our later years and kind of cohabitate with each other. But we really didn't want that. Deep down inside, we really wanted something more with our marriage. Uh, and so there was work that Ty had to do on herself, uh, which she did, and there was work that I needed to do. And for me, the, one of the biggest changes happened as I really tried to embrace um, the idea of what Jesus wanted me to be as a husband. Paul writes in Ephesians that, a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. And then if you look at what Paul says about love, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth, it always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And that became my focus as a husband. But there was no way I could have been that way while being a Ponzai believer. No way. I didn't know how to love my wife. I barely knew how to love myself. But as I began to say yes in these other areas of my life, there was a natural healing that was happening also in my marriage. I learned how to be more patient. I learned how to be more kind to my wife with my words and my actions. I learned how not to focus on my own needs all the time and to consider and serve my wife. Uh, I learned how to forgive and let things go. I learned how to not allow my anger to get me to say and do things that are hurtful to my wife. I learned the importance of protecting my wife, both physically and more importantly, protecting her heart, even from me. And I tell you with all sincerity that I love my wife today 
more than I ever have throughout the entire time that I've known her. I love her more today. And our marriage is healthier today than it ever has been over these 18 years. And it's not because we're somehow special. It's because when you choose to allow Jesus to become the center of your life and your marriage, he changes your heart. As he changes your heart, he changes how you love one another. And as he changes how you love one another, it changes how you treat one another. And it made all the difference. So I want to make this clear that Jesus becoming Lord of your life is a decision we make. Keeping him Lord of your life is a lifestyle. Now, I want to make this clear that Jesus becoming Lord of your life is a choice that you make. But keeping him as Lord of your life is a lifestyle. It's a way of being, and every day I'm tempted to revert back. Every day I'm challenged to keep Jesus in his proper place in my life, and some days I do better than others. I am by no means saying that I am perfect in all of these areas, because I know that I, I need people in my life to hold me accountable. I need to read his word. I need to be in prayer. I need to be um, silent to listen, and all of those things help me to stay on track. Because I know if I don't do those things, my natural bent is going backwards. And so today, if you're listening to me and you really have searched yourself and you feel that you are growing as you ought to in Jesus, then I only have one thing that I would ask of you. Um, I urge you to, to, as Paul did, allow your life to be an example for others. We need you to hold us accountable. We need you to push and challenge us to show us the joy and peace that comes with Jesus at the center of our lives. But if you are here and you feel stuck, you say, yeah, I, I, that's where I'm at right now. I leave you with the same question that Jesus had for me. Do you want to be well? Or are you satisfied with where you are right now? Just know that Jesus will never stop pursuing you, pursuing your heart, pursuing control of your life. And so the question is, are you willing to try and give that to him? And if you do, I can tell you with all certainty that you will not regret it. Um, now, the reason why we'd actually even do that is because of what he has done for us. Now, this is what we celebrate communion every week for. Um, he came down to earth, gave his life so that we can have are since forgiven and have a relationship with him. He did that before we did anything else for him. And a person that is willing to do that for me is worthy of me giving my control of my life and my heart too. So let's uh, take communion together. First, we'll take bread, symbolizing his body being broken for us. And the juice, or whatever you have, representing his blood being shed for our sins. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so humbled by the examples that you have given us in our lives of how to live for you. Well, I pray that you would just help all of us to keep pushing forward, to not be content with where we are today, to become all that you have called us to be, and nothing short of that will be satisfactory. No, we know we will stumble. We know we won't be perfect. 
But Lord, I think that your heart for us is that we would desire more from you. And I pray that you would help us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. Creator.